a movie called Sweet Sandy Yuma, and I love that line, grace is for everyone. Obviously, Russell Crowe is a really, really bad person. And we all have areas of brokenness. This is a guy who's done a lot of bad things. And I love that notion about the prayer being for him. And I love that God still and did come for a guy like Russell Crowe. And we're going to talk about a person not so different from him by the name of Zacchaeus today. If you're here for the first time, I hope that you feel what God is doing in this place that God is really working through the music, through the prayers, and through just this community of, of believers that God's put together on this very morning. And we welcome those who are listening today from a place a long way away. Pilatus, Brazil is listening to us today. So we welcome you and we thank you for listening today. We're on our second, no, third week now of our series called Table for Two. We're looking at the fact that Jesus came to uh, do miracles. He came to teach. He came to preach. He came to heal. He came to die. He came to come back to life again. He came to save us and he came to eat. Uh, He came to have social time with us. And as Christians, a lot of times we just take a look at the fact that Jesus, uh, the main salvific salvific part of his life, that he lived and died and he came back to life. And that's the main thing. But one of the things that I think is so beautiful about Christ is that he came to spend time with us. He came to actually be with us in community. And I'm going to take a look at that today in another example. Uh, By the way, we do hope that you sign up for uh, the uh, dinner small groups this summer. We hope that Highlands doesn't just keep getting bigger, but that it also gets stronger and closer as we uh, continue on our journey together. Uh, So I do want to begin today by recognizing a real culinary giant who is in our midst, and that is Tina Rowe, who won the baking contest this last week at the carnival. She actually baked this pie, and she's obviously a real talented person, and uh, this was in the newspaper. uh, That Thank you, Colonel Khalil. And by the way, I think she's going to do apple birds in the pie next week, but I'm not sure. But <laughs> So today's text comes to us from a place called Jericho. Now, I don't know what you think about if you think of anything when you think of Jericho, but Jericho was a desert town. It was a kind of Palm Springs that kind of rose up out of this really very dry place. Um, here are some pictures that I took of Jericho or the road to Jericho a couple of years ago when I was in the Middle East in Israel. Here is, as you can see, it's such a nice place outside of Jericho. This is the road to Jericho, the famous place where the Samaritan was uh, killed or very nearly killed, or the Samaritan helped the man who was. These are the caves that the people, the bandits would hang out in around Jericho. This is a very nerdy tourist who is there. Uh, This is Jericho rising up out of the middle of this desert. And I don't know what it is about desert cities, but they, they attract a criminal element. And Wherever you go, and I don't care whether it's sort of Las Vegas or whether it's Sparks or whether it's Wendover or whether, you know, wh- wherever it is, there is something about these desert places. And if we actually squint, we can actually see a casino rising up out of that place called Jericho. So this is the city of Jericho. Uh, just to give you some idea of where we are talking, uh, Jesus' great, 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 great grandma was a woman by the name of Rahab who was from Jericho. And Rahab was a part of the world's oldest profession. She was a prostitute. So there was a huge prostitution industry in the city, just like there is in other desert cities that we know of. Um, There there were also other elements in the city. This is a picture of Bartimaeus. Remember, he was from Jericho. But likely Bartimaeus was blind because he was blinded by the criminal element there. When he was a child, they probably forcibly blinded him so that he could spend his life um, begging and making money for criminal elements. 
If you've seen the movie Slumdog Millionaire, you remember the little boy who was blinded in that. That's exactly probably what happened to Bartimaeus. And then, of course, we know that in the roads on the way into Jericho, people were regularly beat up. And so we see here a a man who was beat up. There were bandits who were being hired by people in the city to make money by, you know, robbing them. And it, it was a real tough place. And here's the thing. Jesus loved Jericho. He definitely didn't love the sin. He didn't love the really bad people in it. He didn't love all the wrong things that had happened. But Jesus somehow loved that place deeply. Maybe it was that people were more in touch with their real wrong sides and that he could actually help them with their right sides, if you will, by, by, uh, by ministering to them there. So Jesus is going through Jericho. And so we're going to take a look at our text where he connects with a really bad guy by the name of Zacchaeus. And as we look at this text today, what I want you to think about is somebody that you know of that is way out of the box in terms of their faith. That's just way out of the box. And what we want to hear today is that God has come to save, to seek out the lost. And he will do it again, and he continues to do it. And he, we're going to talk about how he did that. By the way, this, is the very, uh, this very text we're looking at was the first message I offered in the movie theater back in the day. So this text is a part of the DNA of our church to help de-church people become fully devoted followers where no people, perfect people are allowed. And so let's take a look at this text today and you have in mind, or maybe it's you today who is more like Zacchaeus and let's see how God can connect you uh, up with the salvation that he offers. Let's take a look at Luke 19, one through nine. Now Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. Of course he was. No one ever stayed in Jericho. He was always passing through. And a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. Now, Zacchaeus means pure in Greek, but he is clearly not pure or innocent. So this is a play on words. A man is by there by the name of innocent, not. He was a chief tax collector and he was wealthy. Now, there was no such thing as a chief tax collector. That's a made-up name. Zacchaeus was one of those people who hired this prostitute named Rahab, the kinds of people. He was the kind of person who would have harmed little kids in order that they might become beggars. He was the kind of person who would have thugs out in the road beat up people so he could make money. He was a bad guy. And he wanted to see who Jesus was. I love that he is around the edges. But being short, a short man, today we would call him vertically challenged. And um, we don't want to overgeneralize here about people who are vertically challenged. We all have our own challenges. But sometimes, sometimes people who are vertically challenged suffer from what might be called a Napoleonic complex. You remember Napoleon, who was a person who was vertically challenged. And of course, he always tried to take over things bigger than him. And he felt that he would compensate for his life by doing that. We all do that. Uh, We all have an area of brokenness. By the way, other people do this. Dogs sometimes take on bones that are bigger than they are and stuff like that. So we shouldn't just relegate it to adults. But now being a, a man who was vertically challenged, he could not see him because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree. Have you ever noticed that people who are kind of criminal element people are always two steps ahead of where they need to be? They need to do that in order that they can kind of survive in the world that they are surviving in. And he knew that Jesus was coming that way. Now, when Jesus reached the spot, this is an indication that Jesus came for Zacchaeus. He looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, pure man, innocent, Mr. Innocent, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Now, when you stayed at a person like Zacchaeus' house, this was akin to staying with 
a real sort of seem, unseemly character. There would have been all kinds of dinner parties and all that go along with that. Now, Zacchaeus seeing an opportunity to re, uh, reestablish or uh, rehabilitate his business credentials came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. You know, I used to take the side of Zacchaeus over the people who were muttering, but maybe as I go on in my pastoral career, as I am a Christian longer, I've started to understand the people who are muttering. Because we all know people who, you know, say they're going to do things and say they're going to do things, and it's just always the same. And, but also, here we have true pureness, right? Jesus is true pureness, and he's about to go into a person who's just a fake pure person. And he's pretending that he's pure. Now, Zacchaeus stood up. By the way, this is a, an attempt at first century humor. How do you know Zacchaeus stands up? He's vertically challenged. But, but Zacchaeus stood up and he said to the Lord, notice how rough his voice is. Look, Lord. Notice how rough he is. Look, Lord. Here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. If I have cheated anyone out of anyone, anything, I will pay back four times that amount. If, if, did Zacchaeus ever cheat anyone out of anything? Do woodchucks chuck wood? <laughs> Do dogs chase cats? Did the little piggy cry wee, wee, wee <laughs> all the way home? I'm working on my Geico impression all week. All right. Of course he did. Of course he did. But he says that he'll pay it back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come into this house. The word for Jesus is Yeshua. That means salvation. Today, it's a double entendre. Today, Jesus has come into the house. Today, salvation has come into the house. Now, he's not saying that Zacchaeus is saved. That might take a process of him continuing to accept Christ and really show some modified behavior in his life, but, but he is well on the path to salvation because this man, too, is the son of Abraham. And this is the key line, "...for the Son of Man came to seek and save what is lost." And he still does that today. And he still loves to connect with people like Zacchaeus, who are way, way out of the box. So I want you to think about, again, somebody in your life that you have been praying for that might come to God, and you're just, he is, or she is so far away from where they need to be, but, but you just have always felt that there might be something there. So my uh, brother-in-law, Brad, is a wonderful guy. Uh, I wouldn't want to say he is like a Zacchaeus, but... He is a vice president of Harris Casinos in Las Vegas, Nevada. And now he's a wonderful guy. And one of the things that I've loved to see is how God and salvation have worked in his heart in the time that I've known him and the time that my sister's been married to him. I'll never forget, uh, we were uh, going to Tahoe, Lake Tahoe, my, sis, my uh, wife and my daughter and I. And, and uh, we were just going to stay in one of those nice little you know, cabins in the north side, kind of a nice little family vacation. And uh, Brad said, well, while you're up there, why don't you go to Harris Casinos for, for dinner? Now, Harris is not exactly our scene, but we thought, you know, we'll do it for Brad, mostly. We'll, we'll do it for Brad, and we'll, we'll go check out um, this, uh, you know, have dinner. So we went in there, and I, I don't know what it is about having a one-year-old, but it isn't exactly conducive who is crying to, like, getting a lot of good attention from a nice restaurant. And so he came in with this one-year-old who was crying and really not one bit happy, and and they, you could just see they were, they were really quite rude to us and kind of snobby. And uh, then they said, well, you have reservations to you? And I said, yeah, we do. I said, um, we're friends of Brad Warga. 
Now, I don't know if you've ever seen, like, fear come over people's faces before, but I could have sworn that the next line out of this guy's mouth was, we've been waiting for you, Mem Sahib. The whole restaurant was, like, afraid all of a sudden. They actually backed away from us and sort of did like this. Radwarga is a great person. We sat there with this crying two-year-old, and everybody was quite mean to us, one-year-old before, and, you know, whatever it was, we were... She, they brought us entree after entree after entree and dessert and dancers and not that kind of dancers. Dancers, we had to explain things to our kid that we didn't think we'd have to for some time to come. But it was one of those moments. And I just got this sense that Brad was a powerful person and he was working for a real criminal element. But I got to tell you, as I've gotten to know Brad over the years, I have seen incredible ways that God is working in his life. I mean, I have, I've witnessed my brother-in-law, Brad, actually communicate and tell people about his faith. I've seen him talk to his fellow co-workers about Jesus Christ. I've seen him get involved in Rwandan relief projects in Africa to help people who were there who needed help. Brad went on a committee, a pastor-nominating committee of a church. He became like one of the people that helped to get a pastor into the church and And they asked him to be on this committee. And I believe it was the first time they ever sent a stretch limo to the airport to pick up a pastor and provided him with $100 of gambling chips. I mean, I think it was the first time. I did think that that pastor did come to that place. But I'm amazed to see how God is working in his life, how salvation is coming into his house. A person came to me the other day, almost in tears, and say, Graham, I am so, so upset the fact that my husband is just not saved. And I, I want him to be saved so badly. And, and I commiserated with her because it can be very painful to be in relationship with people and you want so much the same things that you have in this life. And as we started to talk about it and started to talk about it, I didn't say it, but I thought to myself, okay, he's not saved, but are you sure salvation isn't in his house? Are you sure that, that God isn't working on his heart in some fundamental way? And so what I want to talk about is that dynamic. And I want to talk about that as a dynamic for maybe those of you who are here today who are way out of the box. And, and, and maybe you know of people who just, you think, are way beyond where God can reach them. And the biggest and most important mechanism for that is, is what we call grace. And grace is for everyone. So I don't know if you've heard about some of the problems they've had with bears in the parks this summer, but apparently there was this bear in one of the parks and he saw this backpacker and decided that he was going to, you know, go and do what bears do with backpackers. And, and uh, this backpacker, deciding that it was probably the end of her life, but she was an atheist, started to pray to God. And she said, God, I, I know I've never talked to you before, but I really, really would love to connect with you now. And, and, uh, and God said, well, look, you know, it's a little late, but okay, better late than never. And, uh, but he said, you know, I, she said, I know it seems hypocritical that I'm talking to you now, but, but would you do something? Because, well, you know, what do you want me to do? And she said, well, would you make the bear a Christian? And uh, the, the God said, well, okay, we'll do that. And so the bear starts to put his two paws together, and he says, Dear Lord, I ask that you would bless this meal of which I'm about to partake. <laughs> it's not so funny, actually, when you think about It's actually a really bad joke. So what is grace, right? What is grace? We talk about grace all the time. Caleb and 3 out of 3 sing about grace is enough. We sing amazing grace. It's the most important idea in Christianity, and it is the least understood. 
you know, let's talk about what grace isn't, first of all. Grace isn't a free pass to do anything we want to do. Grace isn't a covering over of everything we have done. And grace isn't really a covering over of everything we will do. Grace isn't those things. Martin Luther said that grace is a couple of things. Number one, it is the very heart of God. It is the very heart of his personality that God is grace. So it isn't like a mood of God's, like I'm angry today and I'm graceful on another day. It is who God is. But more importantly, it is restoration. It is a momentary restoration of our lives with God. Most of you have noticed that this projector today is out. Uh, this was a big crisis we had this week. Our, our projector light bulb burned out, and we had to call ABC, and ABC loaned us this projector. And so we're very grateful to ABC. But as you can see, it isn't exactly uh, in sync with what we're doing here. But, but let's just think about our lives as like a projector, if you will. So this, this projector's light bulb went out. Now, this projector's light bulb will go out one of these days, hopefully not in the middle of our worship today. Now, grace would not be covering over all the times that the light bulb's been out before or covering over all the times the light bulb will go out in the future. Grace would be the very millisecond that the light bulb went out, God restoring the light bulb back into its full condition. God does that in our lives. The very second that we have fallen, the very second that we have messed up, the very second that we have sinned or the very second that we've done things that we shouldn't have done, God restores us instantaneously. And so for us, grace is a momentary, moment by moment, by moment, by moment, by moment, gift from God. Now this is, again, this gets complex. This isn't Arminianism, which says that, you know, you're not saved today and you are saved tomorrow. No, once saved, always saved. But the way God works in our lives is moment by moment. That's why when God says, my grace is sufficient, that's when Paul says, my grace is sufficient for you. He's really saying that moment by moment by moment, restoration of God in our lives is enough for us, this side of heaven. And by the way, that's what saying grace really means. Early Christians, they would have grace, and it really wasn't to bless the food or think. It was actually to recognize this moment, and this moment, and this moment, for just this moment, God's restoration of our lives. So that's number one. And so God does that for people outside the church and inside the church. And it's only a question of whether people accept that. That's really what it's about. The second thing is this. Conversion is always an evolutionary process. Now again, once saved, always saved. But the way that salvation works is always evolutionary. It's always a couple steps back, a couple steps forward. You know, one of the things I've loved to see is how people who are walking away from God actually are sometimes walking towards Him. One of my favorite examples of this is a guy named, by the name of Lee Wallace, who was a governor of New Mexico at the turn of the century. And Lee Wallace was going to write a book about how God didn't exist. It was all a hoax. Now, his wife didn't like this too much. She was a good Methodist, but he said, she said, all right, you're going to go do what you're going to do. Just do it. So he started researching the great libraries of the world. He was a great, very intelligent man, and he, he got all these books, and he started researching two or three years. He read and read and read, and he was ready to start his book. One of the things he figured out, though, early on in the book was that Jesus actually did live, that he was just as real as Aristotle and Plato and Socrates. So then the question for him was, is it not possible that he is also God? And one night, Lee figures it out. He says, I fell on my knees to pray for the first time, and he got to chapter 4, and then he became a Christ follower. I asked God to reveal himself to me, forgive my sins, help me to become a follower of Christ. Toward morning, the light broke into my soul. 
I went into my bedroom, woke up my wife. I told her that I had received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Oh, Lou, she said, I've been praying for this ever since you told me you were going to write that book and that you would find him while you wrote it. Uh, Another example that is more of our century was a guy by the name of Ken Mansfield who owned Apple Apple Record Label. That was the label that the Beatles did all their stuff with. Ken Ken Mansfield was a partier. He was way out of the box. He said, before I knew Christ, Billboard magazine was my Bible. Record charts were my God. The Holy Grail was a Grammy. And the best table at the Brown Derby was my promised land. But then he said, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I figured out are authors of the map I needed for my journey. I needed a chart, a journal with clear directions, a log to refer to, a guidebook wherein the commands to speak to my wandering spirit. I needed a book so powerful that its very words could burn a living message into the absolute heart of my heart. I needed the irrefutable holy word of God, the Father Almighty, the creator of the seas upon which I was lost. God loves to bring people to him. Now, I've noticed five ways that basically people, five conditions, I guess you would say, of the heart where people are, where people come to God. The first is, you know, after a great loss, an accident or a family member dies, Often people come to God through that experience. Uh, after a great sin, I've known people who have spent time in jail or had affairs or did things that were a great sin that God has worked through and helped them to find God in a new way. In the midst of a fearful experience, I've actually heard a lot of people accepted Christ during the earthquake in Pastor Robles a couple of years ago. That's what you might call a bunker conversion. Uh, There are other examples. A newfound understanding, Lee Wallace talks about, a great gift that comes into our lives. But it's always an evolutionary process. Think about Zacchaeus. So Jesus said, today, Zacchaeus, I'm coming into your house. Zacchaeus could have said, oh, no, you're not. And that would be the end of that. But he said, great. And he scurried down the sycamore tree and allowed him into his house. But then he said, well, I'm going to give back four times that amount. But what if after Jesus left? What if after the music left? What if after the apple pie contest? What if after the law, the lights and the good message, it got a little hard to give back? And he maybe gave just two times back or maybe no times back. Or maybe he stole five times and then he went back to two times. It's an evolutionary process. What about the people who are watching him? Remember those people who said, oh, Jesus is going to the house of a sinner. They were way up here. But then their light bulb burned out. (laughs) They started to see that what God was doing in another person's life wasn't good. So it's a process. Now, again, I want to be real clear. Once saved, always saved. But the way God saves, the way God works salvation in our lives, evolves. It it grows in us. And the last thing is this. Now, there's nothing I know of that's any more fun that's any more valuable than, than having people who are outside the church, who are lost, who are de-churched, come to Christ. I mean, good friends of mine asked me the other day, Graham, are you, are you getting burned down? I said, no, I'm, I'm, I'm okay, I think. No, I'm, I'm good, I'm good. But I tell you, I am not getting burned out on that one thing. of helping de-churched people become followers of Jesus Christ. It just never gets old. I'll be up here with gray hairs coming up in here and a little larger belly, and it will still be that much fun. I came to the church just, just yesterday working on my message, and there were a couple of kids down here in the parking lot with a, with a basketball and our basketball hoop that we put up here. And I said, hey, pass me the ball. And they passed me the ball. 
And I wish that I could say I hit a three-pointer, a swish from the outside. And then I said, salvation has come into your house. But we passed the ball back and forth, and I think they recognized me as the pastor. I was on the back porch the other day with my brother-in-law, Brad. And I wasn't being pastor that day, and he wasn't being a vice president of Harris that day. Just two guys. And he said, Hey, Graham, isn't God great? Did I just hear you say that? Yeah, yeah, Brad, he is. You don't seem convinced, he told me. (laughs) Yeah, he is great. (laughs) The word of the Lord. God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you that you came to seek out and save what is lost. You found a woman with a coin who looked and looked and looked for that coin, and when she found it, she gave thanks. You knew of a a diver who looked after a pearl, and when he found it, he said, thank you. You knew of a shepherd who had a hundred sheep, and he left the ninety-nine, and he went to look for that one. We thank you that only the cross can restore us. We ask that you would restore us on this moment, and on this moment, and on this moment. We thank you that you do. In Jesus' name we pray.